Well, good morning, church family. Today we are going to be reading from Joshua 24, verse 14 to 18. If you have your Bibles with us or a phone with a Bible app, you can turn there. It's Joshua 24, 14 to 18. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people asked, or the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sammy. Hey, everyone. How are we? We're good? We all seem a little quiet this morning, um, and that's totally fine. A bit reflective, maybe, taking it all in. Um, my name is, if you don't know me, my name is Matt, and I am the pastor for Teaching and Vision of our church family. Uh, we planted this church eight or nine years ago now. It's just wild to think we've come to where we have. Praise God, we raised that over $28,000 that we can give away. God's just up to some really cool things in our church. Um, for those of you that don't know, you maybe don't know the story, a little bit about what's going on with my family. This is my last Sunday for about three months. Uh, I'm not taking another sabbatical. That was a year ago, about to go on parental adoptive leave. Um, our family has been matched with a little boy in South Africa, and so we are traveling uh, to South Africa this coming Thursday, and we'll be gone until the beginning of March officially in South Africa, and then we'll return, uh, take a few weeks to adjust to life back here with snow again, and uh, probably be back to my official responsibilities and duties beginning of April. This church is in very capable hands. One, Jesus, who's our lead pastor, and then our elders who serve as under-shepherds, our staff, who Spencer will be leading in this time. And so, just would really covet your prayer as we go. We're really excited about that. There will be a little prayer for, for me and my family at the end of the service today. But uh, today, what I have the opportunity to do is to introduce us to the book of Judges. So I'm doing the introduction. We'll not teach the series at all. Maybe I'll teach the final one at the very end. But I'm just going to introduce the series for us. We have some very capable teachers that will be teaching this series. But before we jump into this book of Judges and this introduction, why don't we take a moment to quiet ourselves, to be still to invite God by his spirit to teach us, to speak to us, to unveil to us this morning something maybe fresh, something new, and uh, that we would be drawn increasingly towards Jesus. Thank you. 
And so, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you increasingly for this opportunity that we have to gather together. Thank you for this physical space, for the other churches that meet in this space, Lakeside Downtown, Habitation of Peace. We thank you for their communities. God, we thank you for the people, your church. Uh, We are reminded consistently, Lord Jesus, that church is not a building, though it is where we gather, Lord Jesus. The church is people, your people, called by your name. Brothers and sisters, we are family. And so we thank you for this opportunity to gather. Will we not take it for granted? We love you. In your name, amen. I would say that many of us, maybe we recognize it or not, sometimes I think these things exist within our subconscious, have limitations or boundaries on the people, places, or circumstances that we believe God will involve himself or God will actively work. I want you to think, for example, maybe it's yourself. You say, you know, God will only accept me. God will only approve of me. God will only use me if I get my act together and if I live this way. And you have some sort of hypothetical uh, obedience chart made up in your mind as far as if I have to reach this level of obedience or sanctification using a Christianese word uh, in order for God to use me. Or maybe it's somebody else in your life. Maybe it's a coworker. You think of people that don't know and love Jesus in your life, the places where you live, a neighbor, maybe where you work, a, a colleague, maybe the places that you learn. If you're a student, you think about maybe different other students that you've come in contact with, or maybe even the places that you play, thinking about maybe recreation and things of this nature. And you have this, again, this subconscious thinking in your mind that God would never do work in this person's life because they just seem so far gone, so removed from any understanding of God and his grace. They would just, they balk at the idea of Jesus. And so therefore God has just taken his sort of his hands right off of their life and situation. And you know, It'll just take nothing short of a miracle for that person's life to be turned around. God is clearly not doing any sort of work there. Or maybe it's a a circumstance or a a situation. You think about a people group. You think about a situation going on in the world. You think maybe even about COVID. You think about global poverty. You think about inequality of wealth. You think about racism. You think about all of these things and you just go, wow, it is just too big of a hill to climb. God can't do anything there. And so you kind of live functionally in this process of believing that God will not involve himself in each of these things. I know I have certainly fall prey and even presently fall prey to this thinking. When I think about, again, some neighbors, I remember in particular, one particular neighbor at one particular time in my life struggling with addiction, and I just thought, this person, my goodness, it would be amazing if God did anything, but it is not apparent to me that God is doing any sort of work in his life right now. Name some of those things in your mind right now, those people, places, and circumstances. Now, the reason that I raise this for us is because we are beginning a study through the book of Judges. And Judges is a complex, violent, confusing, frustrating book in the Bible. We just need to begin there. And, what yet, and yet, what Judges introduces for us is God at work in the most unlikely and unexpected places and each story of each judge and each circumstance and each situation that the children of Israel find themselves in 
reminds us and teaches us and challenges us that God is still doing good work, even when it seems like he just could not do anything at all. God at work in the unlikely and the unexpected places. Now, the book of Judges, many people identify and agree that the situations, the history of Judges take place, takes place within the scriptures post Conquest of Canaan, thinking about the Israelites, you maybe know the biblical story a little bit. You know the Israelites leaving Egypt. This is post-conquest of Canaan, post the walls falling in Jericho, but it's prior to the kings of Israel, thinking of King Saul being the first one. There's many scholars that believe that according to a Hebrew thought, the judges fell within a certain period of time and what is thought as a certain particular period of time. We can see this in 2 Kings 23 verse 22. We read this, For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. Once again, post-conquest, pre kings. Now the story of Judges, as far as the narrative and the storyline, we actually need to go backwards before we can go forwards. And Sammy read the backwards part, and we're going to reread it again, in which we come to the end of the book of Joshua, and Joshua is about to die. And he challenges the children of Israel, and he also invites the children of Israel to be faithful in their relationship to God. To be faithful in this covenant. And the way they will do that is by obeying him. And by driving out the nations that live in this land that God has promised to them. And so here are his words. Again, prior to his death. They'll be on the screen for us. Joshua 24, 14 to 15. And then I'm going to jump down to 20 to 24. This is Joshua. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and what? Serve who? The Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve, this, to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. These are people groups in whose land you dwell. Notice what Joshua says, but as for me and my house, who will they serve? We will serve the Lord. Maybe this is on the wall in your home, or maybe you know somebody, and this is on the wall of their home. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the context of, the, of that passage. Joshua, before his death, challenging the children of Israel to choose who will they serve. Him saying, my family and my generations, we will serve the Lord. Let's jump down to verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. And so you come to the end of Joshua, and everything appears good. Right? Joshua said, challenge them. Be faithful. We'll be faithful. Choose this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the Lord? We will serve the Lord. And everything seems good. Well, 
then you get to Judges 1. You can maybe understand some of my, the reason I'm using this sort of uh, language and expressionism because you get to Judges 1. And once again, we read about the death of Joshua. We then read about how God is continuing to do work in and amongst his people, still speaking to some of the leaders of the various tribes of Israel. They come into this land. And yet, as the chapter progresses, yes, God is doing work, but then we start reading details about how the Israelites failed to drive out the Canaanites. And so you kind of read it detail after detail. Well, this tribe comes in, takes over this place, yet they failed to drive out the land. And this tribe comes in and takes over this place, yet they failed to drive out these people. And you might ask the question, well, what's the big deal? Why do they have to drive out these people? Why would God want that to be the case? And the answer, once again, is to go back to Joshua 24. Why? Because they needed to drive them out in order for them to remain faithful to their covenant with God and obey his commands by avoiding the moral corruption of the Canaanites, worshiping their false gods. And sometimes we, we wonder, we go, what about these Canaanites? These Canaanites are evil, wicked, profane people. They sacrifice their children to their fake gods. So these are not good people. And so we need to understand that. And then so that they need to be driven out, otherwise their influence will be such on the children of Israel that they will begin to practice and do the same things. And so when we begin reading in Judges 1 about how they're failing to drive out these people, we have to understand what's about to happen. Again, Joshua 24, we'll do it. Judges 1, failing to do so. And then we come to the beginning of Judges 2 in the first five verses. We read that the results of Israel's failure to drive out the Canaanites is that they move in alongside the Canaanites and they begin adopting their cultural and religious practices. And then in a very strange way, Judges 2 kind of stops and kind of zooms out to 2,000 feet from the book and gives us the whole context and then the entire literary structure of the remaining parts of the book. It goes back to the death of Joshua And it provides this general overview, and it gives us the literary structure. And this literary structure of the book is found in this cycle. And the cycle is going to be on the screen for us. It's why in the design of the um, judges, God at work in the unexpected, I included this cycle. Because then this cycle, again, that creates and provides a literary structure, but also historical fact happens. And the cycle starts with this, sin at the very top. Although because it is a cycle, it keeps going round and round. So you could ask the question, what comes first? But it's sin. Israel becoming like Canaan and sinning against God. What then happens is that God allows the Israelites to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites. During that time, however, the Israelites would realize the error of their ways. And so they would respond and they would repent of their sins. God would then raise up a deliverer or a judge from amongst Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about then an era of peace. And so then there would be an era or a time of peace. But then inevitably it would go back, the people and children of Israel would forget and it would go back to them sinning again and then the cycle continues. And so throughout Judges, whichever judge it is that we will be studying, this cycle continues to perpetuate itself over and over again. 
Now, the question we could then ask is, well, what about these deliverers, these judges, which the book of Judges is also named after? Now, these are not judges. When we, you and I think judge, we might think of court Judy, or a Judge Judy, or a courtroom, right? Where we think, oh, that, that must be the thing. You know, they were wearing the garb, and they, you know, had this beautiful space that they were, you know, operating out of, and people approached them and called them certain things. And that's very different than the context here. The judges here are more like tribal leaders, military leaders, in the language of Tim Mackey in the Bible Project. He says they're tribal chieftains. They were really designed, they were really called in order to judge in the sense of to lead the internal affairs of the people, but then as their deliverer to also lead in their external affairs as well. Now, you've maybe heard of some of these judges before. You can think of maybe Gideon is a, is a judge that many people are aware of. You've maybe heard of the story of Jephthah, a little less well-known, but a tragic story nonetheless. You've maybe heard of the story, probably most famous, is the story of Samson. Um, and maybe as you think about these judges, you've grown up in, in the church or in a Christian understanding, and you think of these judges, and you're like, they were awesome, like Samson was so strong, and his hair was wicked, and then he let the girl cut off his hair, but you know what, at the end, he got to take out all of the Philistines, and so that's all good, whoa, Samson's awesome. Now, what we have to recognize is some of the ways, for those of us that maybe grew up in the church and thought of these judges, we think about them in only positive terms. But that's failing to recognize God at work in the unexpected and one of the primary places that we see that in each of these judges themselves. I mean, the book actually progressively gets worse and worse as you continue from each judge to the next. The first judge mentions is Othniel. Then we have Ehud, and then we have Deborah. And these judges, you could kind of say, you know what, they're, they're pretty good. Then you'd hope that Gideon, that he'd be a little bit better. But he's actually an okay judge. He's deeply, he has so, he's, so, he's so much of a coward. You maybe know the story. We'll get there. You then go to Jephthah, who makes this deal with God that says, God, if you s- deliver the enemy into our hands, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out to me when I get home. And then you have Samson, who the book ends with, which is a person who's living in constant disobedience to God, constantly driven by his lust. And so we can't, in some sense, make these judges into heroes because, in many ways, what we find is that their lives are not, in this sense, worth emulating because of their constant disobedience. Yet what we should see when we see each of these judges and as we hear their stories is are they are examples of God at work in the least likely of places, using unqualified individuals to accomplish what his purposes. So that's one of the places that God works. But we also see God not abandoning his people and continuing to work in and through the people of Israel. Now, once again, you would hope that this book would have this positive arc of, you know, the children of Israel that came out of Joshua under his leadership in chapter 24. They come into Judges 1, and yeah, you know, they're kind of fumbling, and they're not doing so well, but as the book progresses, they get, they get better. They grow in their discipleship. They grow, and they become more obedient And that's actually not the case. Here is how Judges tragically ends. Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, as you can see here, things are not getting better for the people as the brook progresses. They failed in their covenant-keeping desires. 
that we read about. There's also this failure at the beginning of the book and as as we progress through the book of generations to pass on obedience to God and his ways to the next generation. We find this in Judges 2 verses 8 to 10, reading about Joshua's death. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. But read this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Read the tragedy kind of in that verse. Think about what God had done in and through his people. The Red Sea. Delivery from Egypt. Jericho. And yet a generation arose who did not know these things. And so there's tragedy in the people as well. But then there's also tragedy in another unexpected place are the circumstances of the book. There's ongoing violence and disturbing stories and situations. And none of these situations once again again improves. For example, the book ends with a story of sexual abuse and violence, which then leads to the first civil war in Israel. So once again, we come to Judges and we go, what is this book? What is going on? God, where are you? And yet God is at work. And here are some of the places that God is at work. Firstly, he never abandons his people. Even in the beginning of chapter 1, we see that God still works among his people following Joshua's death as he continues to bless and communicate with some of the other leaders of the tribes. And then as the book progresses, God does not abandon his people. Daniel Block in his commentary on Judges says this, The book of Judges is not so much a written memorial to Israel's heroes in the early Iron Age as a witness, get this, as a witness to Yahweh's gracious determination to preserve his people by answering their pleas and providing deliverance. Isn't that good news? Yahweh's gracious determination to preserve his people by answering their pleas and providing deliverance. Secondly, God is at work in empowering flawed individuals by the Holy Spirit. God empowering flawed individuals by his Holy Spirit. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project writes this, God's Spirit empowers each of these judges to accomplish great acts of deliverance. The fact that God uses these people does not mean that he endorses all or any of their choices. God is committed to saving his people, but all he has to work with are these corrupt leaders and work with them he does. God is not held back by some of the limitations that we put on people, places, situations, and circumstances. He will get his work done. Scott Sauls puts it this way in his incredible leadership book, From Weakness to Strength. Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. 
And that's complicated and in some sense confusing, yet God at times will allow what he hates in order to accomplish the things that he loves, which is drawing his people to himself, delivering them, continuing to pursue them, and be faithful to his covenant promises. But then thirdly, God is at work laying the groundwork for a true leader, a true judge who can lead and rescue his people. Jesus. If there's someone that this book of Judges should draw us to, a deliverer that is better than all of the rest, a deliverer that truly is sinless, a leader that can truly deliver us and sustain us and lead us towards himself and forgive us and invite us to obey him and empower us by his spirit to obey, it is Jesus Christ. I want to go back to a passage we reviewed a few weeks ago in Matthew 1, verses 20 to 23. This is the angel appearing to Joseph. We read this. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Judges invites us, it compels us, it challenges us not to look to these judges as our heroes, but to look at the true judge, Jesus Christ, the better one. And the beautiful thing about each of these things that God is at work doing in the unlikely and in the unexpected places is that it's also the good news for you and me today. First is that through Christ, God does not abandon us when we fall short. I want to challenge you and invite you to answer this question. Do you believe that? That through Jesus, God does not abandon you when you fall short, when you disobey? And again, not in your head, but in your heart. Or do you believe that God's posture towards you is looking upon you in constant disappointment? Rather than he looks on you with love, you are his child adopted into his family through Christ. Secondly, God continues to empower flawed people by his spirit and work in the unexpected places. Once again, do we believe this? Do you and I trust that there's no person, no leader, and no situation so far from the love of God and his redeeming and empowering work? I invite you, who's that person in your life? Maybe it's yourself or maybe it's someone else that you know. Or what is that situation in your life that I invited us to consider at the beginning of my message today? And then thirdly, God has and he is leading us to our true Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer, and Judge, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 25 says this, For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of 
your souls. He is our shepherd. He is our overseer. The song we sang earlier, this is a scandal of God's grace towards us. And we are therefore invited to respond accordingly. This morning as we begin this book study in Judges, identifying and seeing these places where God is continually at work, we are going to enter in and take communion. And so I'd invite you, if you receive the elements, on your way in this morning to get them out now. Communion is an opportunity for us to reflect. Communion is also an opportunity, and maybe you've not heard this before, to celebrate what God has done for us through Christ, in Jesus' life, in his death, and in his resurrection. In communion, we remember the shed blood of Jesus spilled for you and for me, We also remember his broken body, which was broken for you and for me. If you have never committed your life to following Jesus, to trusting Jesus, then I would invite you not to participate this morning. Maybe though today you want to commit yourself to following King Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And I would simply invite you to just say, Jesus, I want to trust you. I confess that I am a sinner, that I need to be saved, and I thank you that you came to do that for me and welcome me into your family forever. I thank you that you do not abandon me. Let's first up, you can peel back the top layer. And once again, this wafer is a symbol of Christ's broken body, which was broken for you and for me. And so let's take this now, remembering Christ's broken body for us. You can now peel back the second layer. And this juice is a symbol of Christ's shed blood for us. And so let's take this in remembrance of Christ's shed blood on our behalf. And so, Lord Jesus, we do thank you and we praise you. It's all because of you, Jesus, that our souls will live. We thank you that you are the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We thank you, Jesus, that as we were scattering as sheep, that you called us to yourself. You are the shepherd and the the sheep hear their shepherd's voice. And so you have called us to yourself. God, I thank you for this book of Judges. I thank you that we see that you do not abandon your people and that there is no situation or circumstance too far from your love. And we do thank you as well that you remind us that the only place that we can be delivered, the only place that we can be rescued, the only one who truly knows what we need and can therefore provide for our needs is you, Jesus. 
God, as we become anxious, as we are worried, as we can become consumed by the things around us and be influenced by the things around us, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would remind us that you are better and that you are with us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.